Welcome back to Anecdotal Notes. I hope that your Sunday has been peaceful and quiet and restive and that you've recovered. I'm here with Steve. Hello, Interwebs. And I'm Pat Aiken. And uh, here we go again, as we were just discussing off the air, another BS fiesta here for you. (laughs) We'll... uh, I like that. uh, Yes, uh, a BS fiesta, that's... I feel like sometimes, you know, when we talk about some of these topics that, that truly, you know, I don't know if Japan, no Matsuri is the uh, Japanese word for festival. So it's like a, if you're in Japan, I've noticed we've had a couple of listeners out of Japan. So we, we notice you out there and welcome to our BS Matsuri. And uh, I hope you enjoy it. We, we're not going to carry a shrine around or anything, but we're going to probably come close today. Yeah. Because, you know, today we've decided we're going to explore, uh, in general, uh, the topic. Well, I mean, it's in the news. It's everywhere. It's, but there is a great movement among uh, diverse uh sources in the underground out here and the the move is that there is truly a conspiracy taking place globally to move us into a one world government a cashless society where all of your comings and goings all of your personal activity will cease to exist that you will live in a perpetual surveillance state that you will be chipped or through some methodology you're going to be accounted for with all of your transactions mm-hmm. through monetary transactions let me say it that way uh, and that ultimately uh, the earth is going to be zoned into uh, areas that are specific to uh you know, economic function, like one area will be a manufacturing sector and one area will be an information sector. One area will become completely agrarian. And if you've seen the the movie The Hunger Games, you know, the, the author of that book, I read the book, but the author basically, you know, in, in her story postulated that, you know, the area, the, you know, the future area of what would be the United States gets breaking into zones. 12 is like energy, coal, and, you know, another zone is for fishing, and another zone is for manufacturing, and another zone, I think that was zone 11, is uh, agricultural, you know. Well, that notion's out there, and I don't know if it's bleed over from the movie, or if the movie is being bled into by this idea that the Earth's being zoned this way by this mysterious group of people. And I've heard it's a, a group of the 12 most powerful families. I've heard that it's the Bilderbergers. Uh, uh, you know, I've heard... It's the Rothschilds. The Rothschilds and the Illuminati. The Illuminati. So, <clears throat> we're just going to explore this topic today and talk about it in cursory terms because, you know... Uh, I don't know. I'm not really. I'm sort of convinced that there's something going on, maybe, but I'm not. I'm not at the point where I'm willing to point a finger and and say, well, this is exactly what's taking place. Mm. What do you think, Steve? I don't know. Uh, you know, as somebody who who considers himself something as an amateur historian, mm-hmm. and also as somebody who likes to study human nature mm-hmm. and the way it's expressed through history. It's always been difficult for me to give a lot of credence to the stories of grand conspiracies, uh, simply because you would have to have too many people agreeing with each other over a long period of time to ever carry that kind of thing off. <clears throat> and when you start dealing with, with machinations at that level, you know, the people who rise, rise to a level, I guess, where they would be an officer or a leader in that kind of movement. Human nature 
inevitably draws them into trying to acquire power for themselves at the expense of whoever else is involved in the conspiracy. And we have had times in the past where we have, there has been attempts to enforce a new world order, a one world government mm -hmm. by force in the past. Mm -hmm. uh, Nazi Germany is, is an example. Uh, Stalinist Russia and mm -hmm. the Cold Wars is another example. Um, where you know the world you know is just too big a change, too violent, you know um, the the outcome would have been too obviously evil and repressive to those who would have been subject to it. So they rose up and, and put put a stop to it eventually. Right. Um, it always strikes me as sort of like trying to wish yourself into a Star Trek universe. And, and for any of our, our listeners who are probably familiar with Star Trek, uh, the original series, or even in the subsequent series, all began in like the 24th century of Earth time, where right. there were all these wars and suddenly mankind had some great awakening where all of these social injustices were fixed and, and all of the unequal were made unequal and everybody was, was being used according to their talents and their abilities and things like that and everything was just wonderful. But uh, I've probably seen every Star Trek episode ever of, for all the series. And Gene Roddenberry, for all his talent, never really got around to explaining just the details of how they got from point A to point B. Mm -hmm. And I think what happens with a lot of these people who are wishing, like, well, wouldn't it be nice to have a one-world government or a new world order, or maybe even the people who are trying to bring it about, um, they're trying to ignore certain very vital aspects of human nature. Um, you know, probably most New World Order um, conspiracies probably re revolve around various socialist, communist mm -hmm. type movements in the world where they're trying to res uh, trying to organize certain classes of people. You know, the, uh, Karl Marx and Friedrich Engels are the people who came up with the idea of right. political classes of people who are constantly striving to either conquer or overthrow one another. And um, the issue always with socialism is that it always denied fundamental human nature. Mm -hmm. <coughs> that in, in capitalism, or in, well, in the world in general, you know, just just take capitalism out. When you when you study history, one of the things that you that you learn the how the way the world really works is that nobody is created equal. Right. And if they were, they definitely don't stay that way for very long. Right. <coughs> Sorry. Excuse me. And uh, what happens is you're always going to have people who, by birth or upbringing or whatever will always have more resources, there'll always be people who are more motivated than others, more intelligent than others, more driven than others, mm -hmm. uh, more willing to take opportunities than others, more willing to take more risks than others. And the, that group of people is a fairly small group of people among the great population of human beings. Right. And those people are the ones who end up ruling the world. Mm -hmm. Now because they were either smarter, they had opportunity, were able to seize upon it, you know, they were more driven, they were more motivated than the people around them, so they were willing to work to achieve whatever aim it was that they were willing to achieve. Mm -hmm. That's just the way human beings work. Now, when you take that fact and put it into whatever sort of society you've built around, then in a capitalist society, those people have opportunity in the private sector to be businessmen. They have opportunity in government to be politicians. They right. can be great scientists or whatever. But there's a, a dispersing around them. And there are mechanisms in capitalism to, or, or republics and democracies to kind of put a check on those kind of people if they're trying to get too powerful. Right. Because... Thankfully, like in America, we've had a group of very powerful people that came over here, and they just happened to be 
the kind of people who are willing to say, okay, we're going to create a government where everybody is equal under the law, right. supposedly, or it has, you know, we do try, try to create, uh, build a society where we can distribute the most opportunity to the most people we can. Now, whether or not they take that is another matter, but, you know, we try to build it where we can do it. In a socialist society or a communist society, those people still exist. I mean, they still come up. But government is the only opportunity where they can succeed, so that's where they tend to gravitate. That's right. So, I mean, in America, you may have somebody who's a billionaire businessman, or you may have somebody who's like a powerful politician. In socialist systems, powerful politician or bureaucrat is basically the only way you can get ahead. And those people who are naturally inclined to get ahead, that's where they're going to end up. Mm-hmm. And in socialism, I mean, yeah, you, you think you can, oh yes, socialist movement is against the rich and powerful. All a socialist movement does is take those rich and powerful people and just make sure that they eventually end up in government where there's no way you can fight them. Right. Yeah, well, I think that's, wow, what an excellent cogent uh, yeah, so, idea. Answer, yeah, so, yeah. One world government tends to come from the thought of, well, you know, that would be a, a, an even playing field. Everybody would be under the same law. It would be all this kind of Star Trek nonsense where, in reality, it is a group of people trying to make a system where they're in control and nobody can fight them. Well, I, you know what? The word I think we're looking for is utopianism. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's that's a real problem. Because there is no such thing as a, a utopia. Mm. And almost inevitably, when a person, uh, like you're saying, say a, a great strong uh, figure, uh-huh. political figure, decides to create a utopia, yeah. generally millions of people end up dead because they don't fit into the utopia. Mm. And another thing I've always had issue with, with like the communist socialist model, is the fact that even though they say everyone's equal, they still end up classing people mm-hmm. into classes. Yeah. And generally, the person who's out extolling the virtues of communism mm-hmm. um, is the person that says, well, I'm going to be the leader. Yeah. So I'm automatically in the, the high class. Yeah. And it's, well, I mean, even in, in current, like, you know, we're in the United States, for the listeners who you probably know, and... Uh, even even a lot of Marxist theory of, of politics kind of tends to seep even into democracies. When you get on our news media, you hear about certain sectors of the population and how they vote. Like, well, you know, such and such a politician did, didn't do very well with the Hispanic vote for right. this, or they didn't do very well with the African-American vote for this reason, or anything like that. And there's that very Marxist feeling that, well, if you're in a certain class of people, then all the people who supposedly get bagged in that class by necessity all think alike. There's there's an implication in there that all Hispanic people have the same political opinions or the same outlook in the world. And that's right. not true. I could go to, I could stop, you know, random African-American people on the street and ask them, well, what do you think of uh, how a certain politician is doing or this thing, anything like that? The first one will give me a certain opinion. Well, the next one I'll stop may have an entirely different opinion. Right. But, but that is antithetical to Marxism. That's right, yeah. Because the state assumes all roles, you know. Yeah. It tells you how to think, what you've got to do, yeah. what's right, what's correct, what's yeah. not correct. So if you're, if you're like... Um, African-American person living in in an urban setting, or you're a Hispanic person living in, in around the border, or you're a or you're a, a blue-collar, you know, non-college educated white person, which is the media slang for your moron. If you're one of those people, then supposedly, you know, you're supposed to think alike that you're this, you know, you're this downtrodden, forgotten person who's being taken advantage of and all the all the cops are killing us because of this, or all the the people are taking our jobs because of this, or anything. Everything you've got some sort of external enemy that you're supposed to be focused on, and the politicians are all too happy to tell you what enemy that is you should be focused on. Because you're going to help them defeat that enemy That's right. by voting them back into uh, office. That's right. And uh, yeah. I mean, you can 
I mean, this, all of these things that show up in the media are, I mean, so blatantly coercive. Oh yeah, amazing. To, to the audience that they're intended for. I mean, this this whole deal about you know separating families at the border. Right. I mean, I have never seen a more curiously timed and blatantly false and farcical news media blitz. I think I've, I've probably ever seen in my 53 years in this earth. Right. I mean, it's 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 unbelievable. And you know, here's the thing. I have compassion for the kids at the border. Mm-hmm. You do too. Oh, yeah. I know you. Yeah. You're a Christian person. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I do too. Yeah. I'm not debating that uh, the policies of the past 25 years mm-hmm. under, mm-hmm. you know, Clinton, Bush, Obama. Yeah. These policies have been in place yeah. forever, yeah. but they want to blame Donald Trump. Yeah. Okay. Now, I, you know, I'm not. I mean, again, it's like there is this, this whole big narrative about, and, and we'll we'll get away from this topic because the, the only reason I even brought that news story up was that it's just one example of many that we get bombarded with all the time nowadays. Right. Because we just happen to have a politician in the office of President of the United States right now who was an actual true outsider to the political game, and he managed to beat them at their own game. So now the establishment right. in our country, regardless of what political philosophy or, or wing or something that they follow, they're part of the establishment in this country, and this guy poked his finger in the eye of the establishment. So all of the establishment is pissed at him. Mm-hmm. So, and, and you know, right? Yeah, I think rightfully so, since he's shown them out to be the, the group of uh, liars and do-nothings that they yeah. have been. I mean, he yeah. he's accomplished more in these first 500 days of uh, being in office than the past three, and that yeah. includes two Democrat and one yeah. Republican administration in this country. Yeah. Now, yeah. to say that I won't, you know, the viewer, I, this is not going to be like an American political show, okay? Yeah, I mean, we uh, could... We, we're going to go back over, but, but... Yeah, but, for the purposes of this show, we could care less who's president. Right. Or, or we're not going to name any particular political parties or anything. It's just a gross... If, if, if I was a historian looking back at what's going on here 100 years from now, that would be the kind of big picture thing that we're kind of, we're trying to draw about what's going well, on. Well, you know, I'm going I'm to share an opinion. I think that the border that the fact that the mainstream media in the United States has focused on the border this week is because what we found out last week, Uh um, for those of you who are not keeping up with American media, is that the Federal Bureau of Investigation and members of the Democrat Party and uh, some other notable political figures, uh, basically in our last election, 2016, Mm -hmm. attempted what I would term to be a soft coup Mm d'etat of our government. They essentially did everything within their power, and we're talking about most illegally, by Mm -hmm. the way, to keep Donald Trump from being able to win the election, Mm -hmm. which, you know, I'm sorry, but that's not representative of what a constitutional republic's all about. Mm -hmm. You know, you're supposed to count votes, and the best man or the person who wins a vote becomes president. Yeah. Yeah. But then all of a sudden you wake up one one morning and suddenly, what's the major story across all of the cable networks except maybe one or two? Oh, suddenly families are being separated at the border, and that's all you hear about. You don't hear anything about FBI. You don't hear anything about Russia. You don't hear anything about any of this stuff. Yeah, well, and you know what? And that leads us a wonderful segue mm-hmm. back into what we're talking about because I feel like that's truly an honest conspiracy among mainstream media absolutely divert uh, to divert the general population's yeah. attention off of the fact that there should be people hanging from scaffolds yeah in Washington DC because lots of the things they did have uh, capital punishments yeah for you know being a traitor yeah. and trying to subvert the government yeah so now They've got us looking at the border with Mexico, which has been going on for 200 years. Not, well, according to the, what is called the Flores Settlement, which is the federal law that all those people are trying to convince you doesn't exist, uh, it has been going on since 1997. There you go. <laughs> so, you know, I'm just saying, it, people will get up to no good. Yeah. Okay? And I think, you know, coming away from that, 
if we look at it globally, and I, I don't know, we've had viewers from all over, mm -hmm. from Asia, from Australia, from United States, from Germany, Europe, UK. You, you know, you've got to look at your own place and your own country and decide whether or not you see something happening because, just be honest with you, right now I'm teetering towards the, the notion that there is something going on. Uh -huh. And I say this now. I'm fairly convinced there's something going on. There's something going on. Yeah. But do we know the specifics? I don't know. I know that they are working very hard. I, I can say this for those of you who are overseas. They are working very hard to take away our Second Amendment rights in this country. And if you're not familiar, the Second Amendment of our Constitution states that we have the right to keep and bear firearms so that we are armed in our homes. And uh, that way, you know, without going into a history lesson, if we had to deal with an invasion or some enemy, foreign or domestic, we would have the means at our disposal through weaponry uh -huh. to help thwart this for the benefit of our country. Now, when I was a kid, you never heard about this. Mm -hmm. Wasn't a big deal. Yeah. Since, say, 2000, the first real assault came in like 96. 89. 89? Okay, well that was you're even before May. But, you there, know, there was a mass shooting at a school in California that prompted the first assault weapon ban in 1989. Which, co um, Coincidentally, who became that president during that term in '88? Wasn't it Bush one? Um, yeah. Because yeah. Reagan was to '84, then '84 to '88. So George Bush won. Yeah, he took took office. So then we have the first ban. That's right. Yeah, that's, right. that's interesting. Yeah, and it was uh, the shooter's name was a was a raging psychopath. Uh, who's, who's pretty much fit the profile of every single mass shooter since then, uh, named James Purdy. And that was that generated the first uh, emotion-driven you know, uh, gun ban in the country. And ever since then, it's just been building. And then we had the one in 96 under Clinton. Yeah, we've had a number of them. And, you know, then there was a long gap because they were preoccupied with yeah. acquiring oil resources. Yeah. Okay. I yeah. mean, sorry, I just the, I see it that and the, way. And, and the '96 ban also had a 10-year sunset in it, which once the sunset passed, they wouldn't. Uh, the then Republican-controlled Congress would not renew it. Right. Thank God. And then uh, 2008, it has been snowballing. Yeah. And truly accelerating since yeah. 2008. And for those for those of you who of our listeners who probably are overseas and and have never enjoyed. Um, such uh, a founding document for your country that that employs such individual protections a lot of us over here consider the second amendment be, to be the most important amendment in the bill of rights because that is the one where that enables us very real protection against uh, enemies foreign and domestic if we do not have weapons to defend ourselves then all of the other bill amendments in the Constitution, all the other the things in the Bill of Rights and everything that was written, the First Amendment, all of that doesn't mean anything because if somebody violates it, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do, march in Washington? I mean, they'll break out the, the federal troops and everything. They'll point guns at you, beat you with sticks, and send you back home, and nothing will change. Because the government never gives up its guns. No. 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 It's only the people, you know, and it's... I don't know. Uh, you yeah. know. Well, th yes, think of this. Uh, I always have this thought. Uh, we always think about public safety in this country, but when you think about it, your public safety depends on a gun. And here's a way to think about it. Now, let's say somebody breaks into your house with evil intentions. They intend to do harm to you, your family, make off with, with all your savings or possessions or whatever. They come in there. Now, if you have a gun... You can defend your, you, you might be able to defend yourself. I mean, you, you, you have that right, you have that ability because you have the gun. If you don't have a gun, your only hope is to call 911 and hope that somebody with a gun shows up to defend you for you. Mm -hmm. Now, either way, your, your safety depends on that gun. 
whether it's in your hand or it's in somebody else's hand. Now, whether or not you feel comfortable abrogating that responsibility to somebody else, that's the decision you have to make. A lot of people aren't. Right. Well, I mean, you know, yeah. our country was founded on the proposition that every person was in a colloquially king of their own castle and that you have the right through God-given rights, not anything granted to you from man. See, that's right. the thing people often miss. Mm-hmm. No man has given me the right to have freedom of speech. I got that inherently from God. Uh, to arm yourself or to have weapon protection, again, it's your right from God. Uh, and I don't know, I think sometimes people overseas, they misunderstand us because the media wants to paint uh, people who are God-fearing as ignorant rednecks. And they do a a fine job. I mean, they've especially been after the South Mm -hmm. for years and years. Often you see uh, depictions of Southern people on television, Mm -hmm. and you wouldn't think that we had since poor, you know, Mm -hmm. pee out of a boot, man. I mean... You you remember what, what Barack Obama called us? Four desperate clingers. Yeah. And clinged our religion and our guns. And what was it? Hillary called us all deplorables. Yeah, the deplorables. You know, it, which, you know, that's great as far as I'm concerned. Continue calling us names, I mean, down here in the South, because, you, you know, it's not going to change these things that are uh, inherent in who we are as people. It'd be, I wouldn't, I don't know. I've just got a different worldview. I've always just respected people for who they are. Mm-hmm. You know, I wouldn't go to Australia and attempt to take away uh, Australian rules football or tell them that they're wrong because they drink a lot of beer or, you know what I'm saying? The things that make a person from their country them or, I don't know. We just got a really weird thing going on on this entire planet right now. And this entire movement of populations the, the being allowed, I mean, you know, there's lots of hue and cry. I've got many friends through uh, social media, you know, in Europe and in the United Kingdom, and they are all just like desperate about what can we do to stop this because they're absolutely overloading mm-hmm. our countries with these people. And they, yeah. they're coming in, they're doing everything. I think Brexit. I think the whole Brexit thing was the first big shockwave. Yeah, well, I think it, it sent a message back to whomever's attempting to do this. Yeah. That it's not going to be as easy as yeah. you thought it would, yeah, would be. It was one of the things that came out in the whole thing about Brexit, and, and when they were interviewing people about why they voted for it, was the British people just simply got tired of, of what they call as a handful of elites in Brussels. That's right calling the entire shot because apparently for all of these EU countries uh, you had a handful of people in Brussels, Belgium who was like dictating policy for that entire region of the earth. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, that didn't sit well with some folks. And you know what? Here's the thing. And we, we've gone through several examples but, but again we're led back mm-hmm. to a handful of elites yeah. who are deciding yeah. policy uh-huh. for diverse countries yeah. all across. So, you know, I really don't think, I used to think, you know. Well, I, th- I think that's happening, but I think what's happening is like, like when you think of what the basis of the EU was, EU, the European Union, and you and I both were alive and mm-hmm. adults in a time when there was no such thing as the European Union, that's there were right. border crossings and everything else, and we got along just fine. Yep. But somebody came up with a big idea for the European Union as a free trade zone with no borders. Mm-hmm. But financially, the implication was that when they went to a common currency, then all of the countries would be linked together economically in terms of the ups and downs and business cycles and right. everything like that. Well, again, it was sort of a, it, it proved to be one of those kind of like Star Trek pretend visions with no basis in reality or development where we suddenly started getting these financial crises like you remember the Greeks 
Right, that's right. A story that mysteriously disappeared just as quickly as it came. And then you had Spain was about to go under, and France was having trouble, and Italy was about to, to take a dive, and all these. But the, the big thing was Greece. And it became known publicly then that one of the underlying theories about the EU was that if you had a, an EU member country that was having difficult times, then the other members of the EU were, were obligated by their EU membership to help prop the whole system up. Well, basically, that turned into Germany. Because of all the, all the EU member countries, Germany was many times over the strongest economy. Mm-hmm. Well, what happened was is that Greece has always been on the brink of catastrophe economically for probably the last 100 years, mm-hmm. and so has Italy. And there was a perception among the Germans and among the other, you know, I guess you could say more first world EU countries than, than the other ones, that the Greeks were just hopelessly careless with their economy. They had no idea how to manage money. They had no idea how to manage an economy. And why do we have to continuously bail these people out when they won't even take basic steps to help themselves? Mm-hmm. I mean, and everybody started hollering about, uh, what do they call it? Uh, The, the measures, there was a name for the measures. I don't remember. Austerity measures. Austerity, That's it. Yeah. Okay. And the government will have to oppose all these uh, austerity measures where they have to start collecting taxes and, and cut down, like like any business would do. Or like if, if you were spending more money than you were taking in, mm-hmm. you had to make cuts. Right. Otherwise, everything was just going to collapse. Well, that turned into a, 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 almost a, austerity. What do you mean austerity? Well, then suddenly it became such a story that literally overnight the international news media stopped covering the Greek thing. It was like one day it was, well, the Greeks were trying to work out a, a deal with the Germans to, to cover the debts and, and with the World Bank and all that. And the next day from then on, you didn't hear a word about it. Mm-hmm. So right then that kind of tells you that there was something going on. Sure. Well, I think certainly I think one thing that we could definitely uh, agree upon uh-huh. is that the media outlets which we would consider mainstream uh, worldwide outlets have been co-opted yeah. and they're under some sort of control because at least here in the United States uh, traditionally we had three networks and back in the broadcast days mm-hmm. ABC, NBC and CBS. Uh, CBS. Well, all three of those and the little subsidiary networks that they've got on cable. Local ones, yeah. Yeah. Everything totes party line now, you know. Yeah. If it's, uh, you know, right now they're being told that you've got to stop Donald Trump. We've got to, you know, all yeah. of this working up towards the 2020, 2020 midterm elections. Yeah. So we're just absolutely being hit with like a fire hose torrent of anti-Trump populist uh, you know, yeah. stuff because they don't want Americans to think of us as Americans. We, they want us to be global citizens. Yeah, they're very anti-nationalist. Yes, very much so. And I think that that in and of itself, while we can't necessarily uh, divine a particular group of people, mm-hmm. we can definitely see that there is a globalist. Um, movement that's being promulgated and being pushed upon all the inhabitants of the civilized world. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, yeah. Let, let's take for instance, um, just an example of the media blackout mm-hmm. in South Africa. Mm-hmm. Recently, the guy and he's apparently some sort of communist, but he he basically hopped up and made the announcement. You know, white people in South Africa, we're going to kill you. You know, it's just a matter of time. Mm-hmm. All right. Nothing else. Mm-hmm. We we heard this announcement. We haven't heard anything else about this. Then we heard an announcement where he had changed his mind suddenly, and now we're not going to kill you all yet. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yeah. But if you imagine a person in Europe or United States, or, or, or Canada, or Australia, any first world nation mm-hmm. getting up and making such a statement, yeah. 
against a minority group. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine the firestorm? But we haven't seen any kind of firestorm about this, which mm -hmm. tells me that, yes, the media is being controlled. Mm -hmm. Now, is, is this through peer mm -hmm. uh, influence, yeah. or is this because these corporations have the ability to tell people, no, you don't run with this story. You're going to run with this story. This is the storyline. This is the narrative. I hate the word narrative yeah. because people people are trying to make up history as they go, mm -hmm. which is an utter blasphemy. Mm -hmm. It does our entire species a disservice mm -hmm. because it prevents us from being able to, to glean institutional memory or the mistakes from the past, and it allows the rep repetition yeah. of this. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, at least as far as that goes, I feel like we've got something going on that's going to affect everybody on this planet, mm -hmm. and they are moving towards this. And yeah. the, the RFID chip, the radio frequency identification mm -hmm. chip, they've got these things now down to the size of a grain of rice, mm -hmm. And you can store all of your person's information, like, you know, demographic information and identification on one of these. And, uh, you know, all they have to have is you go near a scanner and it activates the chip and yeah. it tells you where you are, who you are, what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, nowadays, I mean, just, just uh, a lot of the police cars, the police agencies now, have the ability to have a camera on their car that continuously scans for license plates and run them through their system and if one flags up, it pops up in their computer. Hey, that car over there in front of you that the camera can see the license plate, that's stolen. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly, you know, hey, I got probable cause to stop you. Mm -hmm. So uh, now just imagine, you know, a, some sort of government agency running around in vehicles that has an ability to read an RFID that is either embedded in your body or in, your, or in something that you always have in your person, like an ID card. Well, you know, I, I'm telling you, I mean, you can count that intelligence gathering is taking place. One thing I learned from my involvement in government is that nothing happens by accident or happenstance. Now, they may say that, but when a decision's made, a decision's gone through two committees, yeah. you know, someone in power has made a decision that this is how we're going to do. Mm -hmm. And the intelligence community is no different. The intelligence community, and I don't care what country you're in, you have an intelligence community in your country and they're gathering information. You know, uh, China is right now the bellwether for this. I feel like China is setting the example of how to, to, to gather intelligence on a... Uh, domestic population and catalog it. And they're even going to cross-reference this with a social activities score for citizens. And if you are not um, performing as a citizen well enough, uh, in you know, the Communist Party is going to disallow your use of uh, transportation, computer time, those sorts of things. Yeah. So even in our own country, I understand that uh, some of the delivery services, like Amazon, yeah. they're taking photographs of people's front doors. Yeah. So all of this, all of this information is being gathered. And, and I have just found that when yeah. you have gathered information, eventually someone's going to use it. Yeah. Well, let's, let's take a big segue. Okay. You and I both have had experience with. How much do you think the smartphone is helping this? Oh, not at all. No, not at all. Uh, you think about it. I, I mean, know. Like, like, for instance, like we talked about this the other day. You and your wife were talking about yeah, something the other that's day. That's right. And suddenly, when you get home, you get on the computer and there's targeted advertising. That's aimed right. And you covering the very subject that you weren't on the phone with anybody. You just had a phone on and you were talking to your wife about it. The phone picked it up, and before you know it, next time you're on some website, there's targeted advertising with that very subject aimed at you. That's right. Yeah. And, I mean, you know, it, it, as an intelligence agent, it's a, it's a dream. Mm -hmm. And and I'll tell you why, because what, what they have done through technology is once upon a time, if, if I were working a criminal case, say we're doing something racketeering 
Influence Corrupt Organization, or RICO Act, I would have to go through lots of hoops and uh, hurdles to be able to access uh, information from... Yeah, like the the Supreme Court decision we just had yesterday about now police have to have a, a warrant to access the GPS data from smartphones. That's right. Yeah, because there was a case where somebody was running some kind of robbery ring somewhere, and they were able to convict him because they went to the to phone carrier and got, and somebody is actually recording where you were at certain times. That's right. Yeah. And I, I would have to have, under United States law, I would have to generate what they call probable cause, which means that I would have to have enough coincidental or corresponding evidence to warrant me being able to explore uh, their privacy more deeply. Mm-hmm. And then I'd have to make an appearance in front of a magistrate judge and with a search warrant it would have to be approved. Now all of this would have had to have taken place just to do a, say a wiretap on a telephone mm-hmm. or you know, inside a home, putting some kind of recording device inside the home. Not now. You see, because you buy the the phone and you downloaded the apps. When you sign these agreements, you you know, a lot of people don't read them. They just say yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, immediately they start gathering information on you through the microphone and the camera of your telephone. And the GPS sensor. And the GPS sensor. And it's there. Yeah. Now, Years from now, you know, and I'm paranoid that way, but, I mean, people need to think about this. If they obtained this through your own consent, this evidence, years from now, if, say, we do go to some sort of situation where there's a one-world government or, at the very least, some kind of totalitarian situation, you know, none of this information is being thrown away. And this is what people don't get. They think there's a half-life, like... I do this, and six months later, it's going to be a race. No, 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 no. That doesn't happen anymore. No. Everything is cataloged and warehoused. So they could pull up information for, about you and present it in a court of law that on such and such a date, you said that you didn't think the government was right or fair in doing what it did in this particular case, and then have your voice recorded and could present this as evidence against you, and it would be entirely legal because you signed or electronically signed a consent agreement with this app okay now you could argue to you know the cows come home to you blue in the face that you didn't know this but ignorance of the law there's no excuse (laughs) and that's what they're going to tell you in the courtroom well you know your ignorance you you saw this you had the opportunity to read it but you just chose to go on so you can make some pictures of your house cat and you know we like you know timmy he's a beautiful uh American Calico Cat, but yeah. you also, you're apparently uh, a traitor to the One World Order, and, you know, we're going to have to send you to a gulag now. Yeah, because you're a thought criminal. You're a thought criminal, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, at the end of the day, I think if we, if we just look at the totality of circumstance, okay, mm-hmm. Well, you remember there, there was a story that had come up. Remember, like, in about mid-2016, you were in the election cycle, mm-hmm. and they were first trying to push this narrative of Russian interference in our elections. Right. Okay. And the story was that there was one or two people that were loosely associated with the Trump campaign and maybe they talked to the Russians or something. And one of the big revelations of that story was is making somebody making requests to the NSA to go into their vast database and pull those communications out from all of the data that they trap mm-hmm. on an ongoing basis to go back and see if this guy was really communicating with who they say he was communicating with. And people started becoming surprised when it became public knowledge that the National Security Agency captures all communications in real time around the world in every country that they can. Mm-hmm. And they take it and they store it and they're constantly building new centers around the country 
-hmm. that all they are are basically giant server farms and database farms where they're just mass storage of all this information. That's right. And then what they do is is they capture this information, then they buy these giant supercomputers that go through and take all this data and crunch and look for patterns and things of, of whatever you know somebody in government happens to be looking for, whether they're trying to find uh, Al Qaeda terrorist communications or they're trying to find this or that. And supposedly, to get the NSA to search for this information, there has to be this long, lengthy legal government process where you have to get a zillion permissions and an act of Congress and everything before they let you go in and search for this data. Where in reality, people began to suspect that, that this data was pretty much searched by everybody at every time for even the most mm -hmm. silly things like, uh, oh, you know, I have a suspicion that, that Mr. Pat Aiken of Griffin, Georgia, may be a thought criminal, so I'd like to go back and, and let's go back and listen to all his telephone conversations for the last eight years. Right. You know, and people were beginning to understand that with the data gathering abilities of the NSA and the other intelligence agencies, they really do have the ability to do that. Mm -hmm. And that was an eye-opener for a lot of people, I remember back then. Sure. I mean, it has existed for a long time. Yeah. I, I can tell you that... Um, from having been a terminal operator yeah. myself, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, if I have a basic outline of information about a person, yeah. I can I can pull up their criminal record and all sorts of things yeah. through that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and it's something that a lot of people don't know is you know that every piece of mail. Now I'm speaking for the United States, but mm -hmm. every piece of mail is photographed mm -hmm. that you get in the United States. They've just recently uh, allowed this. You can uh, get an email uh. every day of what's going to be delivered at your house. And it shows you a photograph uh. of each individual piece of mail mm. that's coming to your mailbox every yeah. day. I did not know that. I do. I get it every day. Huh. And, you know, uh, fortunately, it's mostly junk. Every yeah. once in a while there's a bill, you know, yeah. but, you know, I'm just saying, I feel like, I don't know, I, you know what, I feel, I follow my intuition a lot more now that I'm older, and I feel yeah. like that there's a noose tightening. Yeah. You know, I don't know people who, uh, around in the south and in this area, we have a bad problem with feral pigs yeah. people let the things loose and they get out and pigs are really hardy wild animals and they you know they can survive out in the woods and yeah. they tear up creation and the yeah. forest floor but they yeah. but they're you know they they've got a water source and some food pigs okay pigs yeah. live out there but here's a way they catch pigs you know other than you know shooting a pig with a bow and arrow or a rifle hunting you know there are some people who jump out of trees with knives onto them and stuff <laughs> yeah. but if you want to take a group of pigs alive what you do is you find the the little how are they a herd of pigs i don't know what they call a herd of pigs i guess yeah. is what we're going to say but yeah. you find a group and you get some corn you make certain that the pigs find the corn and you start feeding the pigs. And you're going to have to keep this up for a while. You're going to have to do it for a week or two. But you buy some panels of wire cage, hog wire, is what they call it, in fact. And you start setting the panels up around where the corn is. Okay? And you continue to do this slowly. You don't do it very rapidly. You don't spook the pig. You get the pig acclimated to being used to being in the cage. You get him used to seeing the wire. The pig's showing up every day to eat that corn anyway because it's free food. So the pig's going to come and eat the free food. So over time, what you do is you continue refilling the corn. And every day you start adding a panel. Till eventually... You reach a point where you've got a circle, a corral that you've made. Mm -hmm. 
the last thing you do is you put the trap door panel in you fill it up with corn you install the trap door panel and a lot of guys just they'll they'll sit that day like it would deer hunting and they'd go sit in the tree or there they'll stay remote and they've got a thing that uh, uh, a remote control where they can lower the fence or the trap door and on that last day the pigs trot into the opening to get the free corn and then they are all in and once they're all in you drop the trap now you've got your own herd of wild pigs now beforehand you had no control over them yeah but now you've got all the pigs and they're in your trap and in a lot of ways i feel like that's what we're seeing on this planet i yeah. see that that slowly <coughs> incrementally yeah. that the deciders are deciding mm -hmm. for us, and they're yeah. they're they're. Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly because as a as a historian, you know, I've studied the times in the past where a new world order was trying to be begun by force, you know, from from Nazi Germany and Imperial Germany and and you know Stalinist Russia and the communists and all all that went, and. It was too sudden, too quick a change by force, or too many, and at the end of the day, it was always resisted and put down. Now, they're moving toward the same thing, but it's by a gradual effort of coercion, mm -hmm. where we're just being conditioned and steered and fed and to, to the point where, you know, they can tell us certain things and we just simply won't question them anymore. Like mm -hmm. Joseph Goebbels said in the past, you know, you, you take the simplest lie that nobody believes, but you tell it to them often enough and eventually they'll get to believe it. <laughs> and that was the whole basis of their propaganda. And you know what? Sadly and amazingly, uh, not so much in our generation mm -hmm. or the, gener the, the group of people following us, but there's a group of people now that are coming of age and they're, you know, teens to early 30s. Mm -hmm. And they, honest to God, think that uh, government has the answer for everything. Mm -hmm. they, oh, no, 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 the, 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 the government knows. The government, you know, they, yeah. they have the answer, which, you know, you look at, you talk to them, and they stare at you like a milk cow. They just like, yeah. wait a minute, whoa, whoa, whoa. You don't ever give the state power yeah. in that way. The state always has to have um, accountability. You can't just, you know, willy-nilly allow the state to direct every part of your yeah. life. Because at the end of the day, the state is not a thing unto itself. The state is just a bunch of people. That's right. Every bit as screwed up as anybody else is. That's right. So, I mean, this, you think of the state has the answer. No, it's not the state. It's some dude behind a desk, mm -hmm. you know, who has his own problems and mental issues and everything, trying to think that he's going to make a decision for you. Mm -hmm. And it, it may be the right one. It may not be. What can we do to resist this, though? I think we're past the point of resisting. I mean, I look at the generation we have now, and I just don't see any resistance. I don't see the will to resist. Hmm. I think I think there was a time in, in human history where the world was simple enough, and the information that people had to deal with on a day-to-day -day basis was limited enough that they could get their mind around it, and they could control their destiny, more or less. Nowadays, with the internet and the news cycle the way it is, and the, the way we're just absolutely bombarded with all the information out there with no possible way to put any kind of filter on it, you know, I, I feel so badly for all the parents of small children nowadays who are trying so desperately to, to control what their kids are exposed to. And nowadays it's becoming more and more of just a hopeless task. Because, I mean, we get up and we, and we look at the news and we look at what's coming across social media and we look at all this and there's, and there's all this information coming across aimed at us from all different viewpoints. A lot of it's just out and out lies. Some of it's truths, some of it's truth sandwiched between a couple of lies. And, and there's so much of it coming at us so fast that we hardly have time to put any real thought to discern any one thing that we run across during the day. And I run into so many people who, because they have lost the ability generations ago of 
coming to terms with what's going on in the world around them. It's just, they're just totally lost. There's so much stuff going on around them that they're just, they're kind of focused in their own little cone in front of their head and they're trying to screen it all out because they have no hope of comprehending it or influencing it. That when you have that kind of attitude, you get it in your head that, well, I don't have any control. There's too much going on. I can't comprehend it all. What's going to happen is going to happen and that's it. Mm-hmm. I'm just, all I'm concerned about is, you know, do I have enough to eat tonight? Can I pay my bills and, and the rest of it? Wow, that's sad. It is. And, but, but for the last couple of generations, I mean, especially the ones after ours, that's kind of what I see. I mean, I, yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I don't see the fighting it. A lot of narcissism out there. Yeah, you know, you, people fall for the nonsense. Like, if you see what goes on in the news cycle today, I mean, there's a story that everybody's blowing up about that's curiously timed to obscure other stories and right. to obviously influence the elections coming up at the end of this year. Right. I mean, it's blatant, but I mean, it's, it's, it's I mean, it's, I mean, from people I see that, that I've thought know better, I mean, it's, for the media, it's fish in a barrel, literally. Well, but you know what, it's, it, there is a remnant. There, and I just, you know what, I'm going to choose to have hope. Okay. You know, and it, it, you know, it's just my choice. I don't know. Yeah. I hope that that people will be discerning. There are yeah. news outlets. They're they're basically underground news outlets. I mean, yeah. they're they're not mainstream, but uh-huh. you know, it's uh, no matter how you know you tighten your grip. Yeah. The sand's going to get through. I think there, I, I'm like I think there'll always be an underground movement. I think there'll always be those those outliers of people who will always be the 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 opponents and the prophets and, the, and those kind of things that we've had throughout history. But as as far as like in general population, mm. I don't I don't know. I mean, I mean, I, I I choose to have hope too. But I mean, the 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 historian slash student of human nature in me. But, you know, one thing I see is truly a level of narcissism in social media that just blows my mind. Yeah. You know, there's some applications you go on, and it's basically, you know, just people taking photographs of themselves over and over and over again. And that's this person's world, and they want you to think that everything is fabulous, you know. Yeah. And... And then everything else is like the world of the troll. Yeah. It's like, you know, trolling, you know, the, the concept of a troll and trolling is like people who make up memes that are false, mm-hmm. but they're designed to to appeal to somebody's prejudices or to emit some kind of, or to bring out some kind of emotional reaction to somebody. I mean, it, it'll have some data point in there or some fact or figure or something that if you went back and researched it, it's totally false. Right. But because it sounded good and appealed to your prejudices, you just ran with it and it gets spread and everything like that. Well, the problem is, is that now all of the media that we're exposed to, news media, social media, internet, newspapers, magazines, everything like that, has become one giant trolling operation. That's right. They're feeding you stuff to see if you'll believe it. Mm-hmm. They're not feeding you information that you need to make a decision. They're just trying to steer you in a certain direction and hoping that you'll fall for this bit of whatever it is that they're trying to feed you. Almost testing you. Yeah. You know, and it's interesting. You remember Hurricane Katrina, and if you're not in the United States, uh, back under the uh, second Bush administration, mm-hmm. what year was that, 2005 or six? Yeah, I think so. And... Hurricane Katrina came ashore in our Gulf Coast region area off the Gulf of Mexico and literally devastated several states. It was it was awful. But you know, Bush was was um, roundly criticized at the time that his response to emergency management was very slow. And you know, in the aftermath, what we found out was that the urban people were completely unprepared and completely dependent on government, and the rural people yeah. just rode the storm out and got on with their life. Yeah. But 
it was put forward several years ago in a discussion that I had that from a person who was from the Louisiana, South Mississippi area, mm. that he had felt that this had been, some of this had been a test to see how much uh, the people in these disaster zones would resist giving up their weapons. Mm. Because he said that they came in, uh, some of these uh, National Guard units and stuff, mm. and tried to seize weapons from people and I think in some cases they were roundly disappointed uh -huh. by the reaction that they got from the people mm -hmm. and suddenly you know that ceased you know the, this whole talk about this and now they're using a mass media mm -hmm. effort as opposed to you know wanting us to voluntarily give up weapons mm -hmm. versus we're going to go take your weapons I think that that somebody, uh, some thinker, somebody somewhere, some group of PhDs, yeah. somebody calculated and looked at the response from those people mm -hmm. and said, you know, if we do this, it's really going to blow up in our face. Mm -hmm. We we're just going to have to slow down and we're going to have to yeah. right. So so again, it comes back to my notion that nothing happens with concerning government. By happenstance, that yeah. what that what was that? Uh, Rahm Emanuel is quoted as saying. He said, "Always take advantage of a crisis." Oh yeah, don't or, let it, don't don't let a good crisis, crisis go to waste. That's right. Yeah, because you can if people are panicky and scared, then it's easy to to, to manipulate to manipulate and do things to them that otherwise they wouldn't. Yeah. <clears throat> so I would just you know as we're concluding here. That would be my advice on this. Uh, all right, what have we reached? Uh, yes, I think there is something going on. Can we really pinpoint to a certain group? No, but I, I almost believe that uh, since most of the people at Brussels attend the Bilderberger thing yeah. and vice versa, uh, and the people from each country that are going to this, yeah. So we've got some nexus of yeah. I think I think my just my take on it is I don't think it's a conspiracy in the classic sense that you have a bunch of people meeting in a dark room and agreeing on tasks to do. Right. I think what it is is you have a conspiracy that's born of a lot of people having a very similar mindset right. about what they think the world should be, and that mindset has been arrived at through generations and decades of subtle coercion by people who may not be in a power to actually affect policy like government, but they may have important positions in media or in entertainment or something like that. <coughs> and they happen to think that a certain direction is where the world needs to go. And they're willing to lie to you to get you to go in that direction. Mm -hmm. And they're Unfortunately for them, they're being... Uh demonstrated as being liars almost daily now yeah. in our country. Yeah, but the sad thing is they may succeed anyway. That's true. Yeah. Well, because up. Because it, it depends on whether people really care anymore that they're being lied to. That's right. Be calm out there. Don't yeah. panic. Think things through through this stuff. Uh, you know, and I understand it's hard to do in the aftermath of a hurricane or an earthquake or something, mm -hmm. but, you know, Keep your wits about you. And the last thing I'm going to share is up in the, the northeast corner of Georgia, there's a place around a little town called Elberton called the Georgia Guidestones. And these things were erect, erected mysteriously. Go go look it up on the internet, Georgia Guidestones. And anybody who, who you know who's into this, who's in the area, can make a day trip. Everybody, including myself, has gone to the Georgia Guidestones, mm -hmm. okay? Just because it's there and you want to see it. But one thing in particular stands out to me, and at the time um, I first visited, I wasn't quite as aware because we're going back 20 years. But one of the precepts of our future, it says, it says, keep earth with a population, a perpetual population of 500 million. And at the time, not knowing demographics quite as well, I, I was like, well, that's, oh, you know, that's not a terrible number, but it didn't strike me till later 
that we have how many billion people on this planet? I think six or seven now. Okay, so that's five and a half billion people who've got to go somewhere else. Yeah. So, you know. There, there's maybe a thought that by the time the Guidestones will be significant, that those people will probably already be gone. That's right. Either way, that's five or six billion people. And you know what? I'm not on any kind of committee in Brussels. And to my knowledge, you aren't either, are you, Steve? No. So I, I imagine... I've been missing the memos. Yeah, me too. So I imagine I'm included in that five and a half billion or yeah. six and a half billion people. Yeah. So, you know, like I said, get out, research this stuff, be conscious of it, uh, have hope, you know, because you got to have that mm -hmm. when... Uh, you're faced with evil. And I think this is evil. Mm -hmm. it Sorry, is. it is. It's evil. I think yeah. that we're facing mm -hmm. a truly a global evil. So mm -hmm. I don't want to leave on a down note. I just want, you know, to, to say there's hope, guys. There's lots of us out there. A lot more of us than there are them. Yeah, and what do you think? I mean, there are a couple of different kinds of conspiracies. I mean, there are conspiracies of people actually getting together and trying to do something. And then there are conspiracies of ideology where you're just dealing with a bunch of people who all think the same way. And of those two types, I would rather much deal with the ones of a bunch who think the same way because they can be changed. I mean, it, it is possible to, to work to convince people of, of the right way. And maybe that's the way we need to think of it, just yeah. educating people and getting our opinions and views out there and hope for the best. All right, that's it for this week. Thanks for tuning in. Next week, we're going to come back. We're going to do some ancient alien stuff. Well, I think we're going to talk about uh, Puma Punku mm -hmm. and uh, explore that a little bit, kind of change. We had just recently, the show before last was Bigfoot, and mm -hmm. we did this. And I want you to understand, you know, we do discussions really a lot more. I'm not on here telling stories. We, we just want to engage your thought process and bring you into this as much as you'd like to, to be. So anyway, thank you for tuning in. I hope that you enjoyed it. I hope you participate with us in the future. And until next week, this is Steve Hyde. Hey, good night, Interwebs. And Pat Aiken signing off. And I hope you have a wonderful week.